0: I started bagging the patient myself until the RT got there, and then they took over and I could do something else. But that is always your first priority. There's nothing else more important to do in that moment. Ventilation always trumps Narcan administration for an unstable patient. Hey there. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. And welcome back to the Rapid Response Run Podcast. Today, I'm talking about a specific patient, but honestly, I have this patient all the time at Rapid Responses. We're talking about a narcotic overdose. I mean, in the hospital, patients come to us with things that are painful. They've just had surgery, they have an infection, and so we give them pain medication, but sometimes it's a little too much for their bodies to handle, and there's some consequences. So for this case, I'll be making up the patient's room number and those types of patient identifier details, but this actually did happen, and this patient made a full recovery. So let's dive right in. I get a notification from bed control that we have a patient who's being upgraded in room 592. So at our hospital, the bed control person will message us when there's a patient that has progressive care unit orders. So we can just go look at the patient, make sure they're stable, maybe help with the transport, just make sure that it, this patient's okay since they are technically a PC-level patient now on a med surge floor. So I head to room 592 and the room's empty. Like, okay, where's the patient? And they say, oh, okay, he's in dialysis. I'm like, oh, all right. So I head to dialysis and I ask dialysis, hey, I'm looking for the patient from 592. Where'd they go? And they go, like, oh, he's over here. From across the room, I could see this patient, whatever is going on is very concerning. Now again, I know nothing. All I know is 592 is being upgraded to PCU. I know nothing. This guy is pale. He's diaphoretic. His facial muscles are like flaccid. He does not look good. So I rush over there and I was like, you know, what's the story with him? What's going on? Like, oh, he's fine. He's just been drowsy. But my quick assessment would disagree. So I introduced myself to him. Hi, sir. My name is Sarah. I'm from the rapid response team. How are you? No response. So I try a sternal rub. No response. Try to trap squeeze. Nothing. Go to check his pulse. He does have a pulse. <laughs> he even has a radial pulse. It's very thready though and very slow. And his skin, when I touched it, even though it was warm, it was kind of clammy, like diaphoretic. So I'm watching chest rise and fall while I do all of this. And I barely see any rises and falls, like maybe two or three a minute. I glance up at the dialysis machine. I see there's a blood pressure displayed from about 15 minutes ago that reads 89 over 50. So so many differential diagnoses coming through my brain. Is he lethargic from hypoglycemia? Did his blood pressure plummet from dialysis? And it's much lower than it's reading on the monitor right now. Did he have a stroke? Is he in some sort of shock state? Is it distributive shock or obstructive shock or cardiogenic shock? I mean, there's so many options here. So I started delegating because I cannot do this all. Nursing's a team sport, right? So I'm like, can you please call a rapid response? Next person. Can you please grab the glucometer and check his blood sugar? Next person. Can you please call the primary nurse on fifth floor and have them meet us here? I need to know more history. Next person. Can you please grab the crash cart? And then I grab the bag valve mask and start to ventilate the patient. And I ask someone else. Can you please recycle the blood pressure and get them on the monitor? So all of this is happening very fast. People are rushing around, bringing supplies, checking a blood sugar. I'm moving the bed away from the wall, laying it back so I can ventilate him with the BVM. So there's lots going on. Rapid response has been called. The team's on their way. Now, you guys all know the diagnosis because you read the title of this podcast episode. But I know nothing at the time about this patient. All I know is he's a dialysis patient that's being upgraded to PCU. So the dialysis nurse also knows very little. She says, well, I know he's here for a foot amputation, and he's a chronic kidney patient. He's been on dialysis for years, but that's all that I have. <laughs> so I have the BVM. I'm bagging him. The ICU provider comes. The primary nurse comes. They arrive about the same time. They ask me what's going on, and I say... All right, so this patient, I show up, he's pale, he's diaphoretic, he doesn't look good, he's barely breathing, I'm bagging him, his blood pressure was on the low side, we're cycling another one, that's all that I know so far. The primary nurse chimes and said, yes, yes, he had a foot amputation two days ago. So we asked what medications he's been given recently. She proceeds to list off a massive amount of narcotics that he's been getting. So they started with PO medications, it wasn't helping. So then they gave a dose of morphine, and that wasn't enough to control his pain. Finally got some dilated ordered. So she gave a dose. He got a little better, still hurting. Then he gave another dose. So total, he had had 15 of oxycodone, four of morphine, and he had just had two separate doses of Dilaudid, totaling one milligram, all within the last couple hours. Okay, so now it's crystal clear, right? His blood sugar comes back normal, 120, so we can rule out hypoglycemia. His blood pressure is even lower now, 70 over 30. His heart rate's in the 40s. His oxygen saturation, we were never able to pick up on the monitor. But after a few minutes of bag valve mask ventilations, he starts to wake up. So we proceeded to give him 0.5 milligrams of naloxone or Narcan. I'll talk about that dose and why in just a minute. So he starts waking up even more and we stopped bagging him. But then a few minutes, he's kind of like nodding off again. So I gave another 0.5 milligrams slowly of IV Narcan, and he perked up again. He ended up doing fine. But this guy was very, very close to death. So the second dose of Narcan did the trick for him. He perked up. He started kind of taking better breaths, complaining of pain, asking us, what happened? What happened? We transferred him to the progressive care unit. They changed up his medication, his pain medication plan, and he did much better and was discharged home. Yay! All right, now let's talk about narcotic overdose how to recognize it and what to do about it. So, we all know that narcotics suppress the respiratory system, and then CO2 can build up in your system. High levels of CO2 or hypercapnia have a variety of complications. So CO2 is an acid that can cause a significant drop in blood pH, affecting cell function. So neurologically, increased CO2 leads to increased cerebral blood flow, potentially increasing intracranial pressure, causing seizures, coma, and even death. Hypercapnia also negatively affects the cardiovascular system, resulting in decreased myocardial contractility or decreased cardiac output, which decreases blood pressure, you can have arrhythmias, and severe cases, cardiac arrest. So monitoring CO2 levels for patients who have a lot of pain medication on board is very helpful. So you're probably asking, well, how are we supposed to know what their CO2 level is? Well, you can always draw an ABG or VBG, but you actually can put a patient on end-tidal CO2 monitoring. A lot of hospitals do this already for patients that are getting PCA pumps. You can measure it through a nasal cannula. So the nasal cannula goes in the patient's nose, attaches to oxygen, and then a piece of it attaches to the end tidal CO2 monitor. And that gives us an idea for what the patient's CO2 level is. Not only does it give us a number, so we know, okay, CO2 is high or CO2 is low, it also gives us a waveform, which can help us determine maybe what's going on with the patient. So we can determine if patient's having like bronchospasm just from the shape of the waveform. So there's so much value in end-tidal CO2 monitoring. I hope that it continues to catch on, become more and more popularized and kind of standard of care because it really is life-saving. Often oxygen saturation doesn't drop until way later, but periods of apnea can be picked up and alarmed much earlier on with end-tidal CO2 monitoring. So other symptoms besides altered mental status and decreased respiratory rate Things you would expect to see for patients who have overdosed on some sort of narcotic would be bradycardia, pinpoint pupils, and hypotension. So if you observe respiratory depression, here's how you decide what to do first. If they look terrible, reach for the BVM before the Narcan. Like if they're not waking up, they're not taking up breaths per minute, their oxygen saturation is low, or you can't get a reading like this patient, go straight to bagging the patient someone else can get the Narcan in just a minute. But don't be taking your time to get your hands on the Narcan while neglecting the basics of ABCs, which is airway, breathing, circulation, or mostly make sure the airway is open and provide breathing or breast for the patient through the bag valve mask. This is so, so important. I see this mistake a lot. People are like, oh my gosh, they overdosed. Get the Narcan. And yes, we will get to that. But Are we going to let the patient just be apneic while we're getting that medication together? No. So the first step is to give breath to the patient. Now, if the patient is drowsy or minimally responsive, but all their vital signs are okay, I would just say use your clinical judgment if Narcan is needed or not. Personally, I like to avoid Narcan at all costs, and we'll talk about why. So Narcan or naloxone is commonly used to reverse the effects of opioids. It can be administered as an IV push, an intramuscular injection, or even as a nasal spray. Narcan is an opioid receptor antagonist and it reverses the effect of the opioid. So basically when you give Narcan, the opioid doesn't work anymore. So the primary goal of Narcan is to restore normal respiratory drive and prevent life-threatening complications from hypercapnia. But Narcan can also be diagnostic. So if we're like, Why is the patient not waking up? Well, we can always try Narcan to see if maybe it's a narcotic overdose that's causing the problem. In the hospital, we usually go with IV administration of Narcan. So, pro tip give it slow. The normal dose or starting dose is 0.2 or 0.4 milligrams of Narcan. They come in a little vial dosed as 0.4 milligrams. So, you either draw off half of it or the whole thing. And again, you give it very, very slowly unless you want to get puked on. You want to get puked on? Go ahead and slam it right in, but we we prefer to give it slowly usually. You can repeat the dose of Narcan every 2 to 3 minutes if the initial dose doesn't do the trick. But here's the thing. The half-life of naloxone is about 60 to 90 minutes, but the half-life of most narcotics is about 2 to 3 hours. So very often you do have to redose the Narcan because It's going to run out of the system faster than the narcotic that caused the respiratory depression in the first place. So let's talk about choosing a dose. So like I said, 0.4 milligram vials is kind of like the standard. But on the crash cart, you probably have a two milligram pre-filled syringe ready to go. That's a very big difference, 0.4 milligrams to two milligrams. When I worked in the ER, we used to say, if they blew, give them two, otherwise 0.4. Such a little way to remember that two milligrams is a huge dose. We only give a dose like that if someone is like in cardiac arrest or respiratory arrest. We don't want to give such a huge dose to someone who still is breathing independently. So, in our hospital, dialysis is like subcontracted by another company, and so they don't have access to all the same medications that we do on say the med surge floor. So as far as getting Narcan out of a Pixis to give 0.4 milligrams, that wasn't an option for me. The two milligram syringe on the crash cart, I just cut the dose into a fourth. It's easy math. It's easy visually to see how much I gave. So we gave 0.5 milligrams from that salmon colored Narcan box on the crash cart. So once again, let me reiterate, you do not give two milligrams of Narcan to someone who is still awake, but just drowsy. They will feel terrible and you will probably get puked on maybe even punched. (laughs) So Narcan administration serves as both a treatment to restore adequate ventilation, but also it's diagnostic to help us identify maybe the cause of why a patient is altered. So here's my thing. I try to avoid Narcan, if at all possible. Like if a patient's just drowsy or they're not breathing as often as we'd like, say they're breathing like eight times a minute, if their signs are still okay and their oxygen saturation is still okay, I don't like to give Narcan because, yes, it will make them wake up and take more breaths, but they will also be instantly in as much pain as they were before the pain medicine was given. So I think you have to use your clinical judgment and compassion in deciding if Narcan is what your patient really needs or if we're just giving it because it seems like the appropriate treatment for a drowsy person with a lot of narcotic on board. I have seen patients just wake up in absolute misery, like they wake up yelling, not because they're angry, because they're like, what just happened? I was having such a good nap and now I'm in so much pain. And so obviously save a patient's life. If they're not breathing right, if their oxygen saturation is dropping, give them Narcan. But if you're like, oh, they're just sleepy, just let them sleep and watch them close. The other thing I want you to remember is that you can use the BVM too. So if you walk in and find a patient who's just not taking enough breaths or you see the oxygen saturation is very low, you don't have to wait for the respiratory therapist to arrive. Like in this case, I started bagging the patient myself until the RT got there, and then they took over and I could do something else. But that is always your first priority. There's nothing else more important to do in that moment when we couldn't get the SpO2 And we couldn't see good chest rises and falls. Like ventilation always trumps Narcan administration for an unstable patient. So to summarize, the signs and symptoms of opioid overdose are pinpoint pupils, lethargy, respiratory depression, or hypoventilation. And then hypoventilation from too much narcotic on board leads to high CO2 levels or hypercapnia which causes a multitude of issues, including acidosis, neurological, and cardiovascular complications. When it's appropriate, Narcan is a medication that binds to opioid receptors and blocks the action of the drug. So yeah, they breathe better, but their pain returns. So it's important to know when and how to administer naloxone for narcotic overdose proper administration and monitoring are essential due to the potential side effects and the short half-life of Narcan. Nurses play a crucial role in assessing and recognizing the signs and symptoms and intervening to prevent cardiac or respiratory arrest. So next time you find a patient barely breathing with pinpoint pupils, first check a pulse. If they have one, start bagging the patient and get someone else to do the Narcan. Your quick recognition and rapid response to their problem could make the biggest difference in the life of your patient and for their loved ones.